0: when you have, and you know that you can ask for help, when you know that you're someone who isn't carrying this, this weird badge of honor to society, this weird, like, like as if you're going to be praised for something that like, when you're not carrying that badge of honor and you, you are someone who is accepted that if you are in pain and you are struggling, you can ask for help. It makes you dream bigger and fight harder because you're now playing with house money, right? If you are someone who doesn't believe you can ask for help, you will only ever try to do things that you think you can overcome because you're like, I'm not asking for help. So I'm only going to get into my, I'm only going to get into a big enough mess that I know that I can actually clean up. Mm -hmm. Which leaves you playing small, which leaves you playing small.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to the Modern Masculinity Podcast, a space designed to help redefine what it means to be a man in the modern era. Our hope with this podcast is to support men on their journey towards becoming the best possible version of themselves by providing insight, support, perspective, but most importantly, a safe space to live authentically with a community of conscious kings. Every week, we will take a deep dive into topics such as toxic masculinity, men's mental health, personal relationships, conscious leadership, and powerful guests' appearances. Men, we see you, we hear you, and we are standing tall beside you every single day in the arena of misunderstood masculinity. Let's get into today's episode. What's going on? What's going on, everyone? Welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of the Modern Masculinity Podcast. I'm your co-host, CK, AKA Coach Kyle.
0: What's going on, my people? It's your boy Anwar Ahmed, a.k.a. A Squared.
1: And today, and as always every single Wednesday, we bring you a brand new episode. And this week, we want to talk about the stigma around asking for help and the involvement of loneliness in this process. I think we've all been there. And you know, as men, we struggle to ask for help in all facets, whether it's driving down the street, trying to find directions to the grocery store, or whether it is about our mental health. But before we do that, every single time, you know, what time it is. Moo-jack.
0: Hey, yo, 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 coach Kyle, what's good, my brother. What's
1: good. How are you doing today? For those that didn't get the opportunity to watch that, you probably won't ever. He actually took his headphone out of his ear to get the right angle on the microphone. That's what he did. He sent it, guys. He really gave it to you full.
0: Listen, listen, I, I do it for you guys. This is all, this is every inch, every inch,
1: all the movements for you guys. All the possible inches. Yep. Yep. Take that as you will. Uh, how's my mood? How's my mood? Wild. Life is wild. Life is crazy. My mood, I would say, is very excited, but also mm, very stressed. Also, a navigating change. You know, we released an episode last week nap, about talking about navigating change, and I think that um, this is the same thing this week for me is navigating change. Uh, for those that don't know, I moved to Calgary, so I was navigating that change, and now beyond that, I now have another place in this city specifically, which has been incredible. I just I'm actually recording in today. The I haven't even officially moved in yet, and I was fortunate to get the internet in last night, so we're we're in the new place we're in the new digs which is incredible so adds an element of excitement and and something to really look forward to which is beautiful but there's still a lot happening on the background we still have to do the move we all know how moves are moves just never seem to go smooth you ever notice that there's never like a like a not stressful move have you had have you had a not stressful move before i mean you're talking to guys probably
0: moved into like 20 different places in like 20 years so yes (laughs) yes <laughs> there is nice. there is okay there is i it's borderline i think every move you got to go into being like 10 things can go wrong let's hope for two mm. like to me moving is like the equivalent of like something will go wrong can we minimize how many things can go wrong this is it's never perfect you're forgetting something you you might bump a table on a corner that you didn't mean to pimp and you now you've cracked the wall. You just moved in, like yeah. <laughs> the elevator isn't working. The expect the worst. Something is going to happen. Don't ever go into it thinking nothing's going to happen. Be ready to be like, how am I going to adapt when something does go wrong? That is like that is a better mentality to have going into moving and being like, if things don't go right, how am I going to act? You know, mm-hmm. and making sure that you're not like going into it like eat. Food before doing a big move. Eat food. Yeah. food. Like do the things that aren't going to make you hangry. Do the things. Things are going (laughs) to piss you off. Make sure you're ready. Eat food. Get the caffeine that you need in you. Be hydrated. Maybe stretch the day before. Like (laughs) just be ready. The day Uh will go bad. And when it does, if you've been like, everything is going to be good. Everything is going to be good. And you didn't eat and I'll eat in three hours. And I haven't drank water. You're probably going to crack. You're probably going to crack when that, that, you you break that wheel off of that, that couch. And now the couch has no wheel on it.
1: Especially if you're doing it with a partner, especially, I mean, and obviously every relationship is different, but moves create so much conflict, right? And it's, it's not even just navigating how to maneuver something through the hallway or maneuver something into the truck or organize something or where does it go in the house? I mean, there's so much opportunity for that to arise. So if you're not like you said, proactive and taking care of yourself with the food and with the water and with the caffeine and all the things, then you're just, uh, you're heightening the opportunity and heightening the conflict. Uh, And it's, it definitely doesn't help. So it definitely good point. Good point. Um, and, and with all of that, like I said, like there's an element of stress for sure, but I think what I recognize is, um, I'm actually going to backtrack my answer because as I conversate with you about this, I think there's excitement, but what I think is, is that uh, we talked about this last episode is the idea of stress or one of the last episodes, the idea of stress is often a mindset, right? And so what I recognize just now is I think I felt like I was supposed to say it's stressed or that it's stressful. I felt like I was supposed to, because well, a move is stressful. So it has to be, that's the only way to go about it. and. I don't necessarily think that's actually true. I think that there's been elements of, of challenge, but I really don't think it's actually been that stressful. So I'm going to retract that. I don't think I feel stressed. I think I'm just navigating change. And with navigating change comes a little bit of discomfort and that's not necessarily stress. It's just an element of navigation. So that's what, that's what I'm going to say. My mood is um, navigating constantly, constantly navigating. That's my mood.
0: Yeah. There's something that you mentioned there and it doesn't really directly correlate, but it was something I heard about change and navigating change. And it always, it kind of stuck with me was, um, I was listening to an individual who's trying to essentially show the difference in what, what change feels like and why your body feels like it's got this weird energy inside. Well, essentially the first thing that the exercise was, is she said, write your name with your right hand as many times as you can on a piece of paper. And so you're just writing Kyle, 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 as many times with your right hand, right? Then she said, switch hands and now write your name with your left hand as many times as you can. And she's like, when you finish doing that, that feeling you feel right now, when the pen's in your left hand, that's what change feels like for everybody. It's Mm -hmm. uncomfortable. You're not good at it. You can't do it fast. And the frustration that's building up in that activity is what you're deeming as stress is what you're deeming as, you know, uncomfortable. It's what you're getting away from. But the reality is, is that if you put in as many reps with your right hand as your left hand, like you would just get all of those things over time, right. you know, over time, you would, you would get that. So naturally, I think we feel like anytime we're doing something that's different, that we just throw the word stress in there because it's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. We just add that word in as if because I would be able to do it with my right hand so much faster, so much more efficiently. It's eloquent. It's beautiful. It's how I like it. It's everything is perfect. Then you start writing with your left hand. K is looking like an R. The L is looking like a Y. And it's, it's not how you envisioned it. It's not how you mm-hmm. thought about it. And I just always think about that when I'm going through change. I'm just like, I've never wrote. I don't write my, I don't use my left hand for this. Like I can't, can I add stress? Can, can I add, is that an appropriate word to even add here? It's like, I've never done this before. This Mm is, is it really even an appropriate word to use? Like I'm stressed. You've never written. Why, why do you have an entitlement to thinking that you were going to dominate writing your name with your left hand? You don't do it. I can be stressed about something you've never done before.
1: Like, a good word to entitlement, entitlement. There's an entitlement and an expectation, like a, like a hierarchical structure that says, I'm going to be the best at everything. And if I'm not, then I must be, then I'm just going to be stressed out about it. It's like, wait a second. How does that make sense? You've never done it before. And the UK, it, that, that creates almost this idea that, well, it, well, I guess it does. It's what I've noticed in general is that we strive for perfection. Right. So if I can't do it perfect with my left hand, then I'm not a perfect human. And therefore, well, I'm not worthy of anything. So I must be stressed out about it. It's this whole crazy system uh, that we play into every day, every day. But I would, I would challenge a lot of people in this case. I I like your practice and and I think it's beautiful. I would challenge a lot of people listening right now, right with your dominant hand for 50 times or even 10 times. And then just say, okay, I'm going to switch hands now and do that. It's like, but, or even do it by brushing your teeth, switch hands. It's the most uncomfortable thing I've ever done in my entire life, but that's the process. That's how it felt at first doing it with your right hand. And you just don't remember.
0: <laughs> you just have a lot more sweat equity in that hand, yeah, true, right? true. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a very, it's a very, it's a very common thing to just, I think sometimes we just need to, we need to remind ourselves what change feels like. So we can like acknowledge the process better. like. Did you think change? What did you think the word change was before coming into today, you know, or before Mm. coming into this event of moving? What did you think change was? Because if you understand what change is, then you can, you can recalibrate how you feel. Because if you understand the magnitude of change, if you understand that going from one career to another, or going from one partner to another, or going from like never meditating before to meditating for the first time, if you understand what change is, then you will start to better pick words to describe how you're feeling because mm-hmm. it doesn't make any sense for you to be stressed about something that you've never done before. hmm that's not, that's not a great word to use to, you know, navigating change is a, is a great way to actually like accurately, like, you know, depict how you're, what you're going through right now is I'm navigating change. Like, I don't really know what's going on. I, I, I'm I'm just putting in the, I'm just going forward. You know, I'm just moving forward. I'm moving through it. I'm navigating mm-hmm. it. I'm just navigating, navigating to me. Sounds like there isn't an end destination. You're not good at it. You're not bad at it. You're just going, you're just going, figuring it out as you kind of go. Once you mm-hmm. figure something out though, and you can't do it, I can understand how that could be stressful or frustrating, totally. or, you know, something that you've done over and over again, or you've, you've, you've put many attempts, many efforts in, and you know, um, now you're stressed and you're frustrated because deadlines are coming up and whatever. I can see how that word fits into that equation. Mm-hmm. When you're navigating change using, using stress is a bad filler word because you're just like, you're now it's, now the expectation of stresses, you're putting a, you're putting, you're putting yourself in a bad p- position because if you're stressed mm-hmm.
1: about something you've never done before, what does that mean for everything else? True. hundred percent. And there's a the mindset. There's a feeling like a physical feeling that comes with when you say I'm stressed, like you almost start to reserve yourself and you start to like, um, play a bit smaller in life is like, I'm stressed. So therefore like I must be a little bit powerless right now. And that comes with, you know, finding tiredness quicker or finding lethargy quicker, or reactions quicker instead of responding like those little things come faster when we identify with words like stress Mm
0: -hmm.
1: anyways uh how's your mood poppy that was my mood how's your mood
0: i'm doing i'm doing great i am coming off of a very very Solid weekend, uh, I would say, and not from like, you know, any kind of working perspective or anything, just fun, you know, just I just had a good time. I friends came over from Winnipeg, they came to, into town, um, and so met up with them. And, you know, I'm always like, you know, you're always. It, I think a lot of people can resonate with this because you know, if you're if you're someone who is, you know, trying to get after it in your career, trying to get after it in, you know, whatever profession, whatever craft you're trying to master, there is this, there's this like polarity that makes you feel like you can't have fun. Like every every time that you're having fun, you're taken away from getting ahead in the grind, you know. Like you can just vision, like for me, I can just visualize like Kobe Bryant telling me like when someone is sleeping, you need to gotta be keep working, or you know, like every all these like really people that we idolize and have done and they're you know they're known for hard work and this is what it takes they start coming to the forefront of your mind when you're like sitting at dinner time like trying to have <laughs> a good time with people you're like i should be miserable i should be at home grinding uh-huh. while these people are like drinking and having a good time and you know it's always the fight between though that you know those two things inside me but it's like and on friday i felt it on friday i knew i was meeting up for dinner at five o'clock so the whole day i'm trying to work as hard as fast as possible i'm trying to be like i'm trying to justify having the time off i'm trying to like do enough work to justify taking some time for myself and when friday hit it was actually a, a hectic Friday because I was actually navigating a deal. Like there was a lot of back and forth. It was still kind of loose. It was still in the air. It was very, like, it almost like it needed some delicate um, attention. And then I had the, the the boys were meeting up at like five. So I was kind of a little bit um, in a stressful state trying to navigate. And I've noticed that stress for me now, when I define it a little bit, it's when my body wants to do two things at the same time. Like when mm. I'm, 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 t- I'm trying to do two things. And then I feel stressed because I got two things I need to do, right? Like I got to record this podcast, but then I also got to do this other thing. And then now I can see feel in my body that I'm stressed because I'm being pulled in two different directions and I have to emotionally give up on one of them to, mm. to make the other one work. And that's what I've noticed. My new definition of stress has been is when I'm pulling two things at the exact same time and they're going in opposite directions. Um, and I can't do them simultaneously, have fun and close this deal or, you know, do this podcast and, and go to Bellwoods today. Like, like when I'm pulling two different directions, then I'm like, I can feel tension in my body. And I'm like, I'm stressed. I'm bothered by this decision that I have to make because I have to give up on two things that I like. I want two Mm -hmm. things to happen. Um, and so going through that conflict. And then I remember I'm sitting at the dinner table and I was like, I'm just going to let go. I'm just going to like, let go. I've done what I can. Like, I'm, I'm just going to let go because now I'm ruining this moment because of another moment. Like, I'm better off absorbing the moment that's in front of me, having this dinner, having, I'm not around these guys all the time, you know, being able to kind of enjoy it. I remember just letting go and it just felt great. I just had dinner with the guys, we had a great conversation. Um, we talked about life. We got like, I got insight. I got more motivation. I was excited. You know, I left the next day. You know, it was like a weekend thing. So we're going to Friday and then Saturday, we're going to have a full day too. And Saturday, I woke up, worked out. We planned a little bit, played like a, like two hours of basketball, which I love doing. You know, we went out for, you know, some burgers. We went to a comedy club, watched comedy, went out for dinner at a really nice restaurant, and then went out to another place, met up with some of the fiancés and things. And, you know, it was just like a group event. And it was, just, it was just rich. It was just rich of flavor and fun. And it's nights like that that remind me like, oh, this is why we're working hard. So we can enjoy this. Like, like when you're in the grind, sometimes it's like you need to get out of it to realize, like, what are you fighting for? What are we doing? What is this grind about? And nights like last night reminded me like, oh, good company, like people that you care about, good food being able to enjoy a city, being able to enjoy humans, being able to enjoy experiences, talents, like, you know, going to a comedy show, someone's invested the time to be good at that skill. Now you're absorbing that skill. All these things play a role in being able to help you be good at what you wanna do in life. And if you get too disconnected from that, and I've often found myself in that place where I'm very, very disconnected from why I'm even doing things, you lose the motivation you lose the hunger and then the loneliness really starts to kick in it's like why am i even doing this and then you start getting into a bit more of a uh, a bitter bitterness towards the grind you know and that's when i always think that your downfall is coming because once you start hating the process you start looking for the destination more and once anytime you're aiming for the destination and you're miserable in the process you're essentially just like on a ticking time bomb of exploding like if you can't find a way to love the process and anything that you do, and all you care about is the reward or the end or the finish line, then essentially you're in a you're in you're in a you're in a negative race. Mm.
1: Um, mm-hmm. Absolutely, and I love the analogy of the stress that you gave earlier is the the pulling in different directions. And something came up for me that the cool visual was if you imagine like grabbing a stick, for example, or even if you just grab like a, a pole of some sort and you start to like bend the pole. Right, you're trying to bend the pole. And what's happening is you're going in two different directions. One, the middle of the pole is going up and the two sides are coming down and it, you keep pulling on that, that, that pole in that way. And eventually it will snap, right? Which leads to things like we talked about last night, chronic depression and anxiety and suicidal thoughts. And like that pressure is cracking that breaks us. But if you will focus on what you were saying is, just allowing the process and letting go, if you were holding the bar and then you just let go the bar would snap back into place and it would be straight again, or the stick would snap back into place and be straight again. Um, Because the only reason it was bent is because you were forcing it to be bent. And so I just really like that visual of putting something actually under stress like the bars under stress. That's what we're doing to ourselves is we're, we're forcing that stress. We're, we're reinforcing that stress by trying to hold that bar in this bent position without it breaking, like how far can I bend it? How far can I pull myself in two different directions all the time until it snaps mm-hmm. and then what happens when it snaps? Cause I'm not ready for that, but I, I push myself that far. Uh, and so zooming out and saying, okay, I'm gonna zoom out, look at my life, see what's going on and be like, oh. I like this let's go do this because this seems like this is going to be fun uh, and i'm gonna hopefully enjoy myself and i'm gonna let go and then you're like whoa hold on a second like because what you could do in that situation is you could work for the next 20 years of your life and not ever acknowledge what you're actually working for which i think is uh, a big space for men and i know for me even when i was working at cactus that's kind of how i felt too is like I'm working so hard and I'm here all the time managing this place and I'm, I feel like I'm fulfilled by this, but I didn't really know what it was for. Like, what is this all for? I had no idea. I had no vision of what that looked like. So I could have done that for the next 20 years of my life and never actually truly known, what is this for? Why am I here working this hard? Why am I giving up my life for this specific space? Cause I was, why am I not separating myself? Like, what, what is this all for? Am I having fun? And I wasn't, I wasn't. And so I love, and I value that for you and your life in this space is that you found that last night and you find pockets of it and you're like, ah, right. That's what this is. Right. Mm -hmm.
0: And I often get that when I I go back and hang out with my family sometimes too, you
1: know, Mm -hmm. because
0: I don't live with my family often. A lot of my goals are, you know, um, and we, that's a whole conversation too, that we can talk about. Maybe it fits into this conversation, but you know, Only living your life for other people sometimes is also very trying. It's very, it's hard mentally, right? Because you feel like your existence is so predicated on, you know, these goals that you set out for yourself that are actually crippling your own existence. You know, I had to actually stop saying out loud to people that, you know, I wanted to buy a mom, my help, my mom a house. I had to stop saying it because what I realized I was doing is I'm just sharing a bunch of things that are stressing me out to other people right? Mm Because now everyone knows, like everyone is like, Anwar wants to buy a house for his mom, Anwar wants to buy a house for his mom. So now the more people that know that narrative, the more people that like, I'm putting that energy out there, I'm literally just putting more more pressure on me out there to be like, hey, if I can accomplish that, great. Maybe I don't, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe I don't accomplish that, right? But by saying that I'm going to do that, there's a power in that. And I'm not going to discount the power of thinking about so that you're gonna do something. I'm not. I'm not discounting that, but at the expense of adding more stress to yourself, that's crippling. It's like be aware of how it can work against you. Share it to your closest friends, ones that are maybe gonna hold you accountable. Maybe not that random person that you just met, and they're like, you know, what are you? What are your? What are your goals for the next couple of years? Blah 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 blah. You're like, I'm gonna buy my mom a house. You're like, did I need to share that? Did I need to tell this random person that? Mm-hmm. Like and just, and and then they see you like, hey, how's, how's that goal with buying your mama a house? You're like, I'm nowhere freaking near it, dude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nowhere, even not even on this hemisphere right now. It's not even close. Right. Um, cause sometimes but if, is,
1: it fulfilled the ego to share it. Cause it's almost like a look at all the great things I'm doing. Love that. Like,
0: thank you for sharing that bit. Cause that is the important bit. And I, my cousin, this, this special individual entered my life. He was around my age now when I was 18 and we got to live to with each other. And he was like the first person in my family. Um, And I was actually pissed at my mom um, for like, she was like, I just moved out on my own in Winnipeg. My brother was moving to Edmonton because he got a job. So I had this apartment by myself and I was trying to find a roommate. And I guess my mom doing her Sunday calls with like, you know, family, friends and all that kind of stuff ran into, uh, you know, one of her close family friends. I think this this family member is from my dad's side. It gets a little bit complicated, but he's my cousin nonetheless. Um, And my mom is like, oh, Anwar is actually in Winnipeg by himself. She offers up my spot without any, I don't know who this individual is. She just offered it to this cousin. And I'm thinking, a family member too. Like I'm trying to like, just figure out my own thing. Like I'm like, you know, at least if I pick the roommate, then I can pick the roommate according to like how I want to live my life, my discoveries, exactly, all yeah. that kind of stuff. She just, she just throws me to the deep end. She calls me, she goes, Hey, <laughs> this cousin is moving to Winnipeg. They know nobody. You have a perfect spot. This is great. I'm like, this is horrible. Who is this guy? <laughs> and I'm so livid and he calls me. He's on, He's at the airport. He's like, he calls me. He's like, hey, man, I'm just going to stay in your place for like a little bit. Dude, I get it. You're 18 years old. And I didn't know how like with it he was, you know, like I didn't know how like cool he was at the time. He calls me. He's like, listen, I'm going to stay there for a bit. I'm going to find my own place. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, it, it doesn't. But listen, I've made my mistakes in life. I'm willing to do this. He basically just laid it out. It was like what you're thinking in your mind, delete that. That's not who I am. And he moved in and it's probably one of like, I will continue to share stories that, that that, 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 man shared with me because he was at where I'm at now in life. And I was 18. So think about the perspective. Like he had already almost, it was like, he just went through everything I went through and was like, listen, goofball. This is how you're thinking. This is how it is. Listen, goof, <laughs> this is, like he taught me goofball. so many lessons that were so integral in who I am today. And one of the lessons he taught me was he said, Anwar, you gotta, when you care about something, you gotta treat your goals and the things that you care about with way more protection. You don't sh- you don't just give those things to other people. And I never mm. thought about it in a goal setting way. Like I never thought about like protecting your goals, you know what I mean? Protecting mm. what you care about. He's like, if you wanna start that business Anwar and you wanna think about, you have this crazy idea, you wanna start this business, right? The worst thing you can do before you've even like done what you need to do is go tell 30 people about this idea that you have. Because people are pessimists. They're negative. They're gonna tell you why you can't do it. They're gonna tell you all these negative things about why you, why would you be able to do that? They'll tell you all these negative things. And now guess what? This beautiful idea that you had, that you were motivated for, you're now not motivated for because you just went and did lip service to 30 people because you were excited. Focus on, he's like, if you want Accountability, which is what a lot of people want in life when they're sharing goals with people, find the people who will hold you accountable and share it with them. Random people will not fuel you as much as you think they're going to fuel you. And what you're doing in your mind is by sharing, you think you've accomplished the goal. Mm-hmm. You think you're, you already have done it. If you share a clothing line that you have an idea about, you're like, I'm going to tell 30 people I got this clothing line. I'm going to start and blah, 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 blah. You feel like you've accomplished it, even though you've done nothing but share. You've just talked. Mm-hmm. And so that was, you know, a very powerful lesson for me and just being able to, you know, who you're sharing that information with is very important and know the backlash of sharing too much information with too many people. Mm-hmm. When it adds extra stress to your life, extra, uh, extra, like uh, expectation, I should say, stress is you can define it how you want extra expectation. And then second, you're just offering up a lot of pessimism for people to just come back at you and shatter your confidence,
1: shatter your ability to actually maybe get there. Um, Right. Because we live in a society that has an unspoken agreement that as long as you don't do your best, I won't do my best. So as long as you don't live as best as you can, and then I'll know that I don't have to do the same. So neither of us have to really push ourselves or grow that much. We can, you know, go party all the time still, because that's just what we do together because that keeps us both small, uh, which well, is so unfortunate, quo. but it's, yeah, it hits the status quo. And then you added an element of a okay, hold on though. I still need to impress people. Right. I still need to impress people. So then what I'm going to do is like you said, I'm going to pay lip service. But really, I think what ends up happening sometimes with goals is that it's not actually the goal that we enjoy the most. It's the the praise that we get for having the goal. Ooh. Talk to them. So, you know, you create this idea of how you want to live, or you have this, this big grandiose. Cool new, I don't know, invention, let's say, right? And you're so excited about it. And that's beautiful. And I love that. Uh, And then you go tell one person, and they're like, whoa, that's incredible. That one flick of a switch, you never have to do anything for the rest of your life if you don't want to. You can consistently just tell people, I have this great idea that I'm working towards, and then go home and never work towards it. Because every single time you tell someone, they're going to give you the validation you're seeking. All we, all we try to do sometimes, I think, is with big goals is that's why uh, lip service is such a, a big thing in this world is look at all these great things that I'm doing. Um, it's kind of like the Instagram worthy stuff, right? Like you only show the good stuff. That's like for me, um, uh, sometimes goal setting is you're only sharing with people the big, beautiful things that you have going on when in reality you go home and you do nothing. And I'm not here to attack people in this conversation, but I do think that there is a little bit of an element of awareness that that has helped me in this kind of conversation. And that can probably help other people too is, uh, is it the goal that you're excited about or is it the validation from other people about the goal that you're excited about? And I think if you can distinguish between which one is more important in that moment, then at least you can know, right? At least you can have that awareness piece, So when you start to share, you may not actually feel inclined to share because you're more committed to the goal than you are committed to the validation.
0: Get the notebooks out, people. Get the (laughs) notebooks out. I really hope y'all heard that. And I'm going to just leave it at that. I really hope, rewind it if you didn't understand. I really hope you hear that because if you can see yourself in the mirror and you can actually decipher the difference between those two individuals that Kyle just painted, you will change your life because you will start working towards action and not working towards ideas because ideas are nothing. At the end of the day, we have, was it 10 billion thoughts a day or something like that? Or 10, we have so many thoughts a day. They mean nothing. Only action matters only action. And yeah, a lot of us are, a lot of us are like, when you said, we don't need to do anything. Like if you get the reaction from sharing to one person that you were looking for, the amount of accomplishment you feel from a reaction is disturbing. And if you are going to be a, if you are going to take that reaction all the way to the finish line, come on, come on, let's, let's reevaluate. I like you're, you're speaking there, you're preaching, you're, mm-hmm. pre- and I'm guilty. I'm guilty of that. That's why I know you're preaching. I know I've been there. I know Thanks. I've taken the validation too far. I know I've taken that cool idea that I had and taken it way too far. Right but guess how many people I told about this podcast before like actually launching it before having four episodes already in the, in the holster before mm. I told the world, I told you and then I told the world once when it was mm-hmm. done. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time probably in terms of like ideas that I put together where I wasn't, I literally was not talking about, I, people were like, I would, I would say I'm working on a creative project. That's how I would, mm. they're like, what are you doing? Where are you going? Cause you're going places, you're doing things. People know that you're, you're, but just so that you didn't have a little thing to screw with my psyche or just so that I wasn't getting ahead of myself. I was because at the end of the day, when you release the podcast, even if you don't share the, 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 the cool part about the not sharing is when you release it, it's all of you. You didn't take any of those other extra energies, good or bad. Cause the good ones work too. Right. It's like, imagine we're in the brainstorming session. You're like, but yo, I'm so excited that this is because Susie also was really excited about this. Who cares about Susie right now? It's just about me and you and what we're creating. Mm-hmm. We don't need to care about the good or the bad of other people. It's just so when you release the podcast, it's like this is everything we want. And now we'll take judgment. Now we're open to because we've committed to the idea. We, it's commitment now.
1: And this is a crazy reflection piece, too. I think what I love is this actually happened for us. And this is what I love and why this resonates with us both so deeply. But what I just recognized is you remember when we were setting this podcast up and there was a mindset I had where I wanted to start getting the word out, right? I wanted to create the Instagram account and I wanted to start like sharing. And you said, I think I have a counter to that. I think I want to have a conversation about that because I don't think we should do that. And so we ended up having a conversation and we kept it all very hush hush and then you know you you expressed, you know i think we can start telling some of our closest friends just to get their thoughts be like hey i'm thinking about this podcast idea not that we were actually doing it just like hey i'm thinking about this and i'd love to know what your thoughts are like where do you think masculinity is at where do you think uh, you know we could support or there need support is needed and we had this conversation and i remember now reflecting and being like, this is confusing. Why are we not, why are we not sharing this? Why are we not telling more people? Why are we not getting this out to the world? And I realized in this moment that a part of that was because my ego enjoyed the process more than the actual process. My ego was thriving off the idea of how much praise we would get for having a podcast about men. And so I wanted to share that so badly in, in an effort to be like, hey, everyone, like, look at all the great things I'm doing with my life. And I hope, you, I hope you like it. And I feel like you will because it's supporting men, which is fascinating to look back on. And just to see my ego show up and say, I really want to tell everyone that I ever walk into ever. And we haven't even launched yet. That to me says I was more committed to the validation than I was to the goal. And I appreciate you for reeling that in. And I don't even know if you knew that at the time, but I recognize now that you reeled me in, in that moment. And Brought me back to the space of, I think that it's more beneficial for us to to navigate this together first and to move that forward first. And then we'll, we'll allow it once we've actually done it, because then it's like, look, I've actually accomplished this goal now. And if you give me praise, that's great, but I've already done it. Mm -hmm. So I've already praised myself in the process, right? I've already accomplished that goal. So you can praise me or not praise me. It doesn't matter at this point, the validation isn't necessarily there because I've already accomplished it. Mm -hmm. So I don't crave it anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. I am just looking at the next steps now. It's so different. And, uh, that's just a crazy example. I, I had to reflect. It's a perfect real life example of that scenario.
0: Let me add to that. Let me add to that because I think that this element of that is, you know, very, very, and I remember those talks very clear. I remember even when we had the logo revisionings, I was like, Hey, we can't just it'd be ignorant for us to just pick a logo without other people's opinions. I was like, share it with your five closest friends and ask them which they like. And then I did it the same with mine. And then we came back to the table and went, four of my friends that I trust said this, and four of my friends. And then we didn't also just pick, We picked. I was like, pick a couple artsy of your friends, pick a couple. Mm. And then I was like, pick a a couple men. Let's see if there's a difference between what the women think is good, what the men think is good, but all with just like our, our own little immediate circle, right? People that weren't gonna break the process. Um, but going back, and I want people to, you know, because I'm reflecting on why I even want to jump the gun too, right? I'm, when I'm younger, why do I want to share? What you need to be really cautious of and really aware of is that ideas come before commitment. Ideas always come before commitment, right? And the takeaway there is you're going to have an idea and run with it and realize later you're not even committed to the idea. So take a second to assess your commitment level to the idea. You can take this to relationships. Your idea of this girl is a little bit more intense than your commitment to this girl. So slow down, figure out what your commitment level is because it's so much easier when you are committed to then now share the idea because good, bad or ugly, you're committed. I'm in. Mm-hmm. Right? So if if I was a personal trainer, I'm going to take it. I'm going to give you guys more examples. That was a relationship. But if I'm a personal trainer and I see someone come in the gym and I, and I lay it out to them, that early stage excitement, bullshit. I don't care about that. I, I, I'm so committed. I'm going to do this. Cool. Let's talk in three weeks. In three weeks, I'll know how serious you are about this plan. Not right now. So that energy you're running around with after a consultation, oh, I'm gonna do this veggie, I'm gonna do this. That is all he say, she say, that's nothing. The eyes I'm looking for are the eyes of a committed individual that has, has had sweat equity. We didn't, even have a, we didn't even have a good, like we knew we were good when we fought and showed up mm-hmm. to the next meeting. And we, we were like, I hate your idea, I hate your idea. Blah, 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 blah. And then we came back, we picked the logo. We, then, there's a, then there's a, I'm too committed now. So now if I share, I don't care what you say about the thing I'm in now, like I'm in, I'm two feet in. So sharing becomes easier because whatever pessimistic agenda you have for me, I'm, I'm armored. I've decided I'm here. So let's go. Let's talk about it. Right. But when you share too early and you get too excited about the idea of something and your commitment level isn't like let your commitment level catch up. Because if it's it's not there, you're going to see the exit. The second the first set of adversity comes, the second the first battle comes, the second someone challenges your opinion, the second everything, you're you're out. So just recognize ideas come before commitment. And when you have a good idea, rock the idea as long as you can so you can figure out the commitment level. Right? If you're dating a girl, Mm -hmm. you're seeing a girl, you don't know how serious you want to get about it, introduce her to your closest friend. Doesn't need to be on Instagram yet get used to the idea of like, now that, you know, my friend, and I I like this a little bit more. I've met your dad. Now I've met your mom. Now I'm getting more, I'm getting more invested in like this idea of a commitment. And then I'm like, okay, cool. Now, now I think I'm ready for the idea of like the world, knowing that we're, we're in a relationship, we're dating, you know? And, but the idea to just like, to be on a first date and then to like show that person on the, like on your Instagram, like, look, it's a first day. Like, I'm just so excited to be with somebody. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, that's an idea you're into right now. Like get, let the, get the commitment there. Then let's Mm -hmm. start sharing. Like, cause we just want to share, right. We want to show people that like I can get a girl, like I can hang out with this kind of person. I can do like, but you're not going to prove ourselves. We want to prove ourselves. So that's another big reason why I think that you know um, it's important to rock and rock an idea long enough until you understand your commitment level and then you become more bulletproof to to deal with the adversity that comes with maybe people not liking your idea or um, all those kind of things. so,
1: Mm-hmm. Um, there's actually, um, there's, there's a literal uh, cycle that is exactly what you are sharing right now. And I know we're, we're not really falling in line with the topic of the conversation today, which we'll get to in a second, but what you expressed so beautifully in uh, a, a, just great, a great analogy and great expression is uh, what's called the emotional cycle of success, or you can call it the emotional cycle of change. It doesn't matter. It's the sa- it's same either way. And it's a five-step process. The challenge with that is that most people get to three and end up starting back at one over and over and over again in their life. So the first stage, what you expressed is called uninformed optimism. So you walk into a space, you're not well-informed, but it's an idea, right? That's what you were talking about, the difference between idea and commitment. So the idea is the uninformed optimism. It is beautiful. You feel great about it. You're excited. It's like this podcast. We had the one conversation And we had very uninformed optimism. We were amped up for this. Then over time, you start to continue to invest your your time and your energy into this. And you get into the second stage, which is informed pessimism. So now you're informed about how long or how hard you're going to have to work to make this happen. And what that breeds is pessimism. Because a lot of times we don't want to work for the things we want. We just want the things we want. Mm -hmm. So the second stage comes in and informs you of what's happening. It informs you of the steps, the the plans, the structure, and the commitment level you have to have in order to find success, fulfillment in this space. Share more of that time. And that starts to build up, right? That informed pessimism, that, ugh, I don't want to do this, that despair, which leads to the stage three, which is called Valley of Despair. So, if you think about it like a graph, right, at the top is where the uninformed optimism was mm-hmm. on the left hand side of the graph. And then stage two is a little lower, right, because that's your informed pessimism. Now you're not on such a high. And then the valley of despair is literally at the bottom, it's a dip. And that's stage three. And the challenge with stage three is the valley of despair is the deciding factor in your success or your quitting. That's your choice. So, a lot of people, and I'm guilty of this too, is I'll get to stage three. I'll feel like I can't do this anymore. It's not for me. I hate this, that really, really pessimistic space and I'll quit. And when you quit, that's fine. Do your thing, but know that the next idea you have, which is probably happening at stage three already is going to bring you back to uninformed optimism. And then you're going to find the informed pessimism. And then you're going to fall back in the valley of despair all over again. Because what I noticed at stage three is that's when I feel like I need to find a new idea that's more exciting Mm -hmm. because the excitement of my current idea is no longer there. So stage three is that, that choice, it's the valley at the bottom of the valley, though, eventually, if you look at a valley in the mountains, for example, it always goes back up, right? So that's where your choice happens. And if you choose to say, I want success, this is for me. I'm going to fight through. I know I can do this, even though it's hard. That's where I think is a huge mindset for change and, and, and success is even though it is challenging right now, that's okay. It's like writing with your left hand. It's hard right now, but I want to get good at it. You you go back up and you reach the next stage, which is informed pessim or informed optimism. So stage four is informed optimism, which essentially says, I'm, I've now been informed of how hard this is, and now I'm excited about it. Now I feel optimistic that this is something I do want to do because I made the choice out of the Valley of Despair. And then from there, stage five is success and fulfillment. Because you've moved through, the, you moved through the valley, you've made the choice. And even if it's not perfect, you've pushed through. And even if you didn't actually, let's say, reach the ultimate goal that you ever wanted to, I think what for me, stage five says is you've just, you've moved through the valley of despair. You've moved beyond it. You moved through it and said, no, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to fight through. And what that does more for me is it tells me I'm capable than it does. than it does the accomplishing the goal. It says I can move through hard things. I can navigate change because i've been through whatever this valley of despair looked like for that specific goal or that specific experience of life and we did that right and and we went through i mean i did informed pessimism with the podcast i said to myself whoa this is going to take work and i did not see that coming i said that to myself those exact words and I, and i remember getting Maybe not necessarily to the valley of despair fully, but I just remember feeling that informed pessimism and saying to myself, man, am I going to be able to do this? Are we going to be able to do this? And then thankfully I have a partner in the process, which is, I think, beautiful to, to move that along and to navigate that with, and to have conversations with, which I think what ended up doing was it took me out of the valley of despair and it didn't even get me there. And something that I coach is, can we actually avoid the valley of despair? Is that possible? Can we go from informed pessimism to informed optimism without such a huge dip? That's what I try to support people with, which is a challenge in and of itself, because I never want someone to get to stage three and say, there's a more exciting idea. I'm going to jump back to stage one and just keep doing this, this, this roller coaster, this up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, because that's the high and low of life that we're addicted to.
0: Mm-hmm. Dude, what a share. I I mean, I was writing, I was writing the steps down because I wanted to go back to it and stuff like that. Cause I think that there is so much in that. Um, so for you to kind of tie it all back together, I mean, obviously I want to get back to the topic at hand, but I can, I can keep going down this path for a long time. Even, even, even challenging that, that thought of going from, you know, informed pessimism to informed optimism. Like I actually think the, in my opinion, I think the Valley of despair is important. Mm -hmm. Like, I actually think that because it tells me are you about it or are you not about it. Exactly. Going from one point to one peak to another peak doesn't I love the back half of adversity. When I see anything down and out and now that decision point that you're talking about that's what I cuz I like I want to see that you've gone through that and then you're on the other side. You know? I know my relationship is in a good place when we've gone through the valley of despair and we choose to be here now. Right? Mm-hmm. Because the the honeymoon stage and the the lust stage like all of that the like the, the beginning of it the first 6 months let's write that off that's how it all it should feel like that two people who weren't in a relationship now they're they're getting a relationship getting all the cool things about someone caring about you and loving you and all that stuff you're getting all that of course it's going to feel nice but what happens when our backs are against the wall what happens when we our, our lifestyle creep comes into a point mm-hmm. where we have completely different ideas how do we na- manage and navigate the valley of despair where I'm whether I'm buying more of this stock or selling this stock solely depends on this value of despair. Mm-hmm. I need to see it through because if I'm going to buy more of the stock, I need to know that it can, it can go down and bounce back up. I need to see that. Um, you're otherwise- absolutely
1: right. It's a commitment level. It, stage three is, is for, if you don't want to see the value of despair and see it as this negative, because I think the despair word adds an element of like you shouldn't go there, it's a commitment. In that moment, it's like, am I in it or am I not? You get to choose. And if it's in the relationship, right? I think that what I don't want to share, though, is that are you committed or are you not makes it seem as if like it is it is an ultimatum. And sometimes it can be. But I think it's just knowing, is there value for me in this? And can I see the value in this or not? And if it's a no, that's fine, too. But just know, like, like uninformed optimism is I don't know anything about this person, but I'm really attracted to them. I really think they're a good-looking human being. And then informed pessimism says, oh, wait a second. They have things that I may not like. They have qualities that are different than mine. And enmeshment says that's not okay. You can get to the value of despair over time. And you're like, wait a second. We're two different people. Can we make that work? And is that even the right question to ask? Right? It, because enmeshment says we need to be the same. And what the value of despair is asking is, can you navigate a life with someone who is not like you? And if you can, beautiful, then you can get into informed optimism and you start to see all these beautiful pieces about them that are actually beautiful. They're just different than you. And you can make this a great space where you cohabitate instead of codepend, And then you would find the success and the fulfillment of the relationship. Um, but I like the reframe for, for the value of despair is, is it's a question. It's less of a despair. It's a question. Are you committed or are you not? Mm-hmm. Because that's where all the information is. Are you committed or are you not?
0: Yeah, I learned a lot from that. So I appreciate you sharing. Like, I really, Mm -hmm. I really learned a lot from that. I feel like that's, those are golden nuggets
1: right there. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, just to quickly share that, it's called the emotional cycle of change or the emotional cycle of success. You can just Google it. It's very available to everyone. And it is essentially just a graph that you'll find. And it's just a good awareness piece.
0: My friends, let's talk about mental health. And the sponsor of this podcast. This episode is sponsored by Tether, a peer enabled mental health and well being platform for men. Tether helps men find meaning and purpose through community, accountability pods, and a 24 7 support network. Tether invites us all to be a part of changing the face of masculinity and letting every man know that struggling and vulnerability
1: doesn't make you any less of a man, it simply makes you human. And for me, I've had a lot of personal experience with this app. I've used it many times. I've shared a lot of vulnerable moments. I've shared some strength moments, some exciting moments. The app is open for everyone to simply just share. And like I said in the introduction, a peer-enabled space where we're supporting each other without any pressure to fix, just simply to honor each other's journey. They also just added in a conscious content section where they're sharing podcasts they're sharing blog posts it is a really powerful space so we really want to implore you and encourage you to download it from the app and google store it is tether t-e-t-h-r available on both app stores join the community i promise you will not regret it to move back into the conversation that we want to have today, that we want to talk about, uh, we mentioned at the beginning, is what we want to talk about today is the idea of asking for help as a man, the idea of seeking support, and a caveat to the process of not asking for support, which is loneliness, and the difference between being alone and actually feeling the idea of loneliness. And as I was prepping for this conversation, I recognized that Something that I've been speaking about for a while that I haven't moved forward with is asking for help in a, uh, let's call it a licensed way, a therapist, right? Seeking help from a therapist or a counselor. I've never had one before in my entire life. The closest thing I've had in relation to was when I went to anger management classes when I was 11 or 12, I think it was. And I don't have much context for what that was outside of the fact that i did two two sessions i did one that was more i think group style uh, and then i did an actual one-on-one in a room like a very therapist style vibe and i just remember sitting there and not really knowing what to do with myself i was young i didn't know what to share i wasn't able to wrap my head around my thoughts or fully my feelings and i think that's why i rejected it so hard that combined with the idea, I'm sure at some point that men don't ask for help because that's what, what I would have been modeled. Even in the smallest context of being lost and the uh, my father figure, let's say, and I don't have an example of this, but this is just the generalization is that uh, if a man is lost, he doesn't ask for help. He just finds his way. Um, and sometimes that means he gets extra lost. <laughs> and that idea of being presented at some point would have made me feel i'm sure at some level that i don't want to share because i'm now i feel like i'm asking for help but where i'm at now in my life is i actually feel like i really want to do that but i haven't done that and that's why i like this conversation is because what it, it's going to allow me to see and maybe other men to see who are listening is there's this weird space where i i feel like i'm open to receiving support in some facet, but I don't know what that is. I don't know what area of support that is. And so I think because of the unknown that I don't know what that support could look like, I don't seek it. I don't go out of my way to find it. I don't go hire a therapist or a counselor because I don't feel like there is a plan, an XYZ, a result that's going to happen. I don't, I don't see the specifics of it. And what that just made me realize is I've had many client calls where the men have asked me, okay, so what are your steps? What I have shared now, what, do, what are the steps? And I'm like, there aren't steps. And they look at me like, what did you just say? There's not steps. And I'm, I'm always thrown off by it, but this is, this is how it happens. What are the steps? How do you go up with the process? And I'm like, well, these are the things that we'll talk about, but they're gonna be specific to your unique journey because there aren't actually steps. There's just the idea of steps and they're like okay well um how did you navigate this how did you work through this what what practices did you put in place and i'm like okay well i hear you i did some practices but it wasn't necessarily the practices that got me through it was the sharing the vulnerability the unknown of what i would find um it was just questions at the end of the day that got me through a lot of this last three years just questions but the questions I've recognized are not tangible evidence. They're not a, they don't sound like a step because the question could go anywhere, right? It's the unknown. So I think for me, sometimes I look at that space and I'm like, I don't, well, just going to ask me a bunch of questions, a bunch of questions. I don't know what that could bring up, which means I don't see a result at the end of the day or a goal. So therefore I'm not going to bother. So the this conversation that we're sharing today that we'll have, continue to have is. I guess i'll throw the question back at you is have you ever had that kind of support that that let's call it a licensed space where it's like a therapist or a counselor um or have you ever had the pull and pulled back out
0: no i've never had a a pull to seek professional help um or a pull to even try to speak to someone that I knew was way more qualified for like certain questions that I was going through, you know, because Mm. I think a lot of the times, some of the things that I'm thinking about, some of the things that are bothering me, I feel like, I feel like they're so specific to me that no one has the answer to these questions. Mm. Like some of the stuff that I wake up with that are on my mind, I'm like, they're so uniquely, who do I go to to speak to about, this problem, you know, like it's this idea that my problem is so isolated that I don't know who to take it to, but myself to deal with Mm. it myself, you know, problem is so isolated. I like that phrase. Um, that's kind of more what I feel like. And typically I feel like this isolated problem could be solved by maybe a few people that are in my life that I don't agree with how they want to solve that problem. So I hold it to myself. Like, let's say this isolated problem is coming from the family tree and who I want to speak to about it might be my mom or my dad, but their character, I'm not into, like, I'm not into how they go about that problem. Cause we've tried, maybe we've, maybe we've had that conversation once in a smaller sample size. And I did not like the response I got. I did not like the reaction. So now that, what does that teach me? I'm not sharing with these people anymore. Like mm. they don't get that. They don't understand how to, uh, because maybe they're trying to put me in a three-step process. Or maybe the other way around, they don't have a three-step process answer. And I want a three-step process answer. Um, And they don't have the answers to those questions. Or they can't help me with those questions, right? There's a lot of times I'm guilty or when I was younger, especially, I was guilty of not bringing my North American problems to my parents because I was like, they would never understand. Mm. Like discounting the fact that they've been through a harder life. You know, like as if some of the lessons that they learned in their environment couldn't help me in my environment because they were different environments, right? This, this naive perspective that, you know, my mom at 15 was going through a certain amount of challenges in life that could definitely help mine, but because they were in two different environments, I feel like her opinion doesn't carry as much weight because she can't help me with this direct problem. Mm-hmm. This is a North what mom. What do you know about this problem? This is a North America thing. You grew up in Africa. Like, how are you gonna help me with this problem? So I just keep it to myself, you know? But maybe sharing that I was being bullied or maybe sharing something that was going on in my my childhood, she could have been like, hey, I don't know what this feels like, but I do know what this feels like. And this is what helped me through that. That goes to what you were saying about accepting that there isn't a one, two, three, four, five step process to something. Hmm but a sharing circle gives you perspective and allows you to look at what you're staring at from a different angle. And Mm -hmm. often a lot of problems are solved in that space, Mm. but you got to get to a vulnerable base to even get that out of somebody. Right. And so Mm -hmm. for me, that's kind of how I feel. I never really felt like I needed professional help. I feel like sometimes the people that I wanted to get help from didn't, wouldn't see it how I saw it or don't, don't, I didn't think I could get the answers that I wanted. So you go into that isolation, you know, you're like, this is an isolated problem. And there's only mm. one, so there's only one person who can solve it. That's me. And if I can't solve it, then we all know what that leads to. Just be alone then with that problem. Mm-hmm. Bury it.
1: Deep. Yeah. Isolated problem equals isolated person, which is such a common narrative i think in our society is uh, it, it's tough and i find i find myself doing it a lot too uh, is i will think that way i will think my problem is is my is an isolated problem it's only something that i'm navigating there's no way somebody else could ever be feeling this way so then i won't share with anyone right and i think what sharing does sometimes is it makes it feel like you're asking for help when sometimes sharing is just sharing and As I navigate the isolated problem, I put myself into the isolated mindset that I am isolated, that I am on an island by myself in this world, and that there aren't 7 billion other people in this world. I'm by myself. And then that leads to a separation that I don't want to go out. And I don't want to be around people and all this stuff because my problem is my problem. It's not your problem. To add layers to that, it's... I don't want to be a burden to somebody else. Mm -hmm. So if I start to share or open up or ask for help, then it feels like I'm burdening their lives. Mm -hmm. So that's layer. That's another layer. Another intense layer for me is if I share with you something that I'm struggling with, then my biggest fear is that you'll deem me of less of a man. And that is a harsh feeling sometimes. And I think society has painted this idea that if I ask for help as a man, then therefore I am not a capable man and I am not providing a safe space or a a courageous space or what have you. It's as if asking for help is obviously weak, which we've spoken about many times. And I think we know that to an extent, right? As a man, we've heard that asking for help is strength. We've heard this over and over and over again, but is it resonating? That's where I think there is a bridge that we're not crossing is that we see this sign that says cross this bridge because um, sharing is, is powerful as courageous. And you're such a great person for sharing, but how many of us are actually crossing the damn bridge? And I, I catch myself doing it all the time. I see the bridge. I almost take a step, but I just, I like the, it's almost like the goal conversation is that it? almost feels better to have a goal of. I'm gonna say I'm gonna see someone. That it is to actually go and see someone, because if I share with someone, I think I'm gonna go see a therapist. They're like, "Oh, that's so great, good for you." I don't have to go. <laughs> I don't have to go. They've given me the validation of going. Isn't that what I wanted in the first place? So for me, the, trying to navigate this is, I think from personally my my experience, and I've shared this with my partner a lot, is uh, I really have a deep fear of doing a bad job. And I, I know that comes a lot from being this idea of the, the man in this world, the perfect man, because there's so much attacking on men right now. Right. And I fear that if I ask for help in any area, then that will, that will deem me as someone who is not capable of handling a relationship or handling life. And therefore, they won't feel like I'm a good, I'm a, I'm a sustainable partner. I'm a consistent partner because I ask for help, which is wild. But I just, I never want to feel like I'm doing a bad job. Because if I'm doing a bad job, then you're going to think different of me, and if you think different differently of me, then you're not going to love me as much. And if you don't love me as much, then you're going to abandon me. And if you abandon me, I'm going to be on my own. And if I'm on my own, I'm going to die. This idea of this big, big, grandiose fear of death at the end of the tunnel. I was listening to a video yesterday, and it was an interview, and there was three people on couch. It a couch. There was a woman and a man and a woman, and the question wasn't given. It was just the one woman sharing, and she said a man better never ask me for money. He better never damn ask me for money. I better not find out that this man is asking me for money. Do you not have any pride? Do you not have any pride in your life? Why are you asking me for money? What, you can't do it yourself? You can't have your own money? What's that about? And I was so triggered and I almost kept scrolling, but I knew that the video was going to take a turn. And the the man in the middle, he started sharing and he did his best to share. And I find it fascinating that we, we struggle to even articulate this feeling, but he started to share, listen, in this space, you want us to have all of the money, right? You want us to have a perfect job and have this huge salary so that we can take care of you. But let's say we don't, what do you call us? You call us bums, right? If a man doesn't have a high paying job that's supportive, that's fully supporting his wife or his his partner, then he's a bum. But can you ever turn the table and say to a woman who doesn't have a job, you're a bum. Can you do that? No, you cannot do that. That's not okay. So there's caveat number one to this process. Number two, you want us to have the job. You want us to have the money. You want us to support the family. You want us to basically carry the burden of the entire space and any money that we make you can take go do whatever you want with it cuz you're fully supported do whatever you want have hobbies you don't ever have to work so you want has, you, all of this pressure and then the moment that it gets too much and we ask you for help we're a piece of shit we're not good enough we are we're we're not capable enough we're we're asking for help and where's our pride in asking for help and still The counter to the conversation was, well, let me tell you, you better not ask me for money. And I sat there listening to this video, thinking to myself, this is why we kill ourselves. This is why the damn suicide rate is so high. It's not just because of environment. It's because of these messages that are not just hurting men, they're hurting women. And this is not to attack any women listening this is not what i'm doing what i'm sharing is that the idea of the patriarchy the idea of masculinity is not just hurting men it's not just hurting men it's hurting women too and in the process that comes back and it hurts men again like it's so it's both sides of the equation everyone is being hurt by this idea of the patriarchy everyone and and in the patriarchy says don't ask for help man up don't be a pussy don't share your feelings don't cry crying is asking for help. Don't do that. So in a long-winded answer for me, I feel that pressure sometimes of don't ask for help because where's your pride? Where is your pride? Where's your, where, where where's your character asking for help? Doesn't, isn't part of your, the masculine character. And again, this goes back to this. So i shared a long time ago is we have to fit this box right? This, this mad box, this character box, those are the character traits you get. If you're not those, then go stand out in the corner uh, by the pole because you are an outsider, which is tough because then it, it breeds authenticity.
0: There's so, so much to take out of everything you kind of said. I watched that same video Actually, it came across my space, so I know exactly the video you're talking about. Um, and you know, I want to kind of keep the conversation at that video for a second because mm-hmm. there's there there's an element of people in the room right now that might be feeling attacked i don't feel that way i would I would give a man money all of these things, and you know totally and, and that's very true. I know that it is, but it's the same thing it's the same thing that bothers me about when I see an individual. In this world, finally come out and say, "I'm gay." I've had this long journey, and they finally come out, and you hear someone go, "I don't care, man. It's all good. Why didn't you come out before? Like it's fine. Like the dismissing as if I was quiet all these years for no reason, for no goddamn reason. I just I don't know today I wanted to share, and oh, that's your reaction that." Your reaction is, I didn't care. You could have told me a long time ago. Who cares, man? It's all good. I love everybody. People, let's stop discounting how we're feeling. Let's stop this. Like, there might be a woman that's like, I would never. I would I would never. Like, you could borrow money. You could borrow. Ooh. Women, we're not feeling like this out of make-belief. This is not a, we're not making this shit up. This is not a made-up theory that we just, I'm feeling this super crazy financial burden on my chest. I'm making this up. Women, please, let's, let's stop this idea that we're, we're making up this pressure. This pressure is real. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's videos like that that show that the pressure is real. Mm-hmm. And is there sweet, is there sweethearts out there that do not believe it? Absolutely there are. Mm -hmm. but please stop discounting the fact that we are going through that cycle. We are feeling like if we have to ask for help and ask for money, that we are going to be perceived as a bum. And if you are perceived as a bum and you're nothing in this world, then what am I? And we're taking our lives. This is a real pressure that we're feeling and it's not made up. And so for all the people that want to discount that, like that conversation that's happening, just take a second to be like, maybe I'm not that. I totally get that, but it's out there.
1: Mm-hmm. It's that so pressure. out there. It's, it's very cultural. out there. It's, it's cultural. a cultural feeling. It's not just like within a relationship context either. I think that uh, you know, a friendship or a relationship, we think it lives there. No, it doesn't actually live there because it's coming from way before that. It's coming from as as soon as we were born. Truthfully, as soon I feel like as soon as we were born. Well, not maybe not that deep, but as soon as we were a toddler space and we started to be seeing and conditioning and pay attention, that's the moment. As soon as we were a child, that's the moment where we were like, whoa, don't ask for help. Don't share your feelings. Oh, whoa, okay. Whoa, I gotta, I gotta do all of that. Oh, okay. Noted. Like noted, 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 noted. And like this pressure is so prevalent because then you see the tangible evidence when you get out into the world and you're old enough and you're like, oh, oh damn, that's real. Oh, damn, that's real. Okay. Cool, 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 cool. Let me make sure that I'm that. Let me make sure that I'm that I feel that pressure. It's you know, too, I think is it's almost it feels as if even if we didn't want the pressure, we have to feel the pressure. Even if I didn't want it, even if I said, nope, nope. I, I, you know, I'm a different, I'm a different, different breed. I'm a different man. You know, I'm better. I'm better. Let's go. That's the hierarchical status. I'm a better man. So I don't feel that pressure. It almost feels like you feel like you're in the wrong for not feeling the pressure of all of this man box stuff. And so you just say, well, hold on a second. Then if I don't feel this man pressure, then I must not be a man. So I better find this man pressure. I better put this man pressure on myself. So then you seek it. You're seeking the man pressure. It's a wild journey, wild journey. One thing I want to I want to touch on uh, when you said is um, when something comes out, right? Something comes out to you. I think that doesn't just necessarily align with um, uh, someone who's coming out as gay or trans or what have you. It's not just that. It's also too I'm coming out. Um, let's say when I'm sharing my feelings, right? Or our vulnerability, or it's a space that I don't feel comfortable with. And uh, a beautiful friend of mine, he shared this experience with me, this, this phrase change that I think actually might help in the space of asking for help. And what he said was that first and foremost, we've stigmatized coming out, right? If someone comes out to you, it there's, a, there's an element of weirdness to it still. Like it's like the coming out to you. And then we put pressure on why don't you just come out to the world? And there's this, this weird, there's this weird narrative around it. And what he beautifully articulated to me was, people are not coming out. They're allowing you in. It's more of a come in to my home and let's talk than it is a come out of my house. It's not what's happening. People are actually letting you in in that process. They're showing you a deeper side of you that has always been there. So just because they're expressing it doesn't mean they're coming out. It just simply means they're they're inviting you as a person in their life to come in. It's not coming out. It's coming in. So the same context for us when we're asking for help, it's not coming out of whatever it is. It's allowing people to come in to see, look, there's depth here. There's something you don't see. And I want, I want, I want to allow you to come into this house and see what's happening in this house. See the, the disaster that it feels like. That's what I feel like is happening. And that that language change helped drastically. I share it all the time now because for me, it says, if I'm going to share something with you, I'm not coming out to you about my problems. That's not what's happening here. Or what I'm doing is I'm saying to you unconsciously or consciously, come in. Come in. Welcome. This is this is the madness. Look at all the clothes all over the floor. Look at the dirtiness. I look at all the dishes in the sink. Like this is what's happening inside right now. I want you to come in and I want you to see because I trust you.
0: And the visual of that is so, yeah, the visual of that is so powerful, right? Because if you think about even when you leave your apartment, right? Think about if your apartment was your mind and your emotions and everything. We come outside and close the door. We lock the door. We don't, we don't, we don't show anything that's going on in there. And we, we carry whatever we need to be right. We come out. We put on the face we gotta put on. I've already put these clothes on. I know society accepts these clothes. I know I can talk like this and it's all good. Letting someone in behind the door, letting someone into your apartment is like, these are my real thoughts. These are my real emotions. And I trust the way you're gonna react when I allow you in here. That's how we even got to this point. Cause I I validated, we navigated the fake world together and now I'm willing to let you into the real world. My real Mm -hmm. world. Because I, I, I trust how I've seen you move in this fake world. And I can tell that you're equally as allergic to it as I am. And so letting you into some real, I'm, 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 I'm getting more comfortable with that. Right. And then letting somebody in and closing the door and being like, this is me for real. And then that person being like, it's really not that bad in here, man. Like we could fix this or we could do this or, or, you know, thank you for a hug right off the hop. First mm-hmm. of all, thank you for letting me in. Mm. First things first, let's have this moment. I think guys really miss this step often. When somebody opens the door and lets you in, stop trying to already reorganize their house. Let's acknowledge that they let you in the house in the first place. The They'll empathy, the empathy level there will that little nugget will change so many of your relationships if you just take one extra second, to just embrace that person for letting you in mm. first, before going into where we're literally like wired to go. Start, okay, let's clean this room up first. If, if this is what room bothering you, let's clean this one, this is dirty. We can do these dishes in like 30 seconds. Like, why does that even bothering you? It's no problem. Why are we fixing stuff all the time? Why are we so wired to want to fix? Like, And it's the awareness piece, right? Just know that you want to fix stuff. So Absolutely. when you come in, your brain's gonna be like, mm-hmm, da-da-da-da, fix that, I can fix that, I can fix that. But how you express, just just embrace, be empathetic, be thankful that they let you in. And once you can kind of get through that process, often let them kind of lead you, hey, I know that that room looks hectic, but I'm actually not even bothered by that room. So don't even give me advice on that room. I don't even care about that room. This room is the one that's bothering me. And you're like, oh, okay. See how like taking a second to, before fixing something can actually benefit you? That one second of listening Cause if you just go on a rampage of trying to fix the problem, you might be missing the mark completely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've let you into the apartment, but I'm actually not concerned about that room at all. This is the room that I'm concerned about. This is the room that keeps me up at night. This is the one that is plaguing me and letting you in. I actually wanted you to give me maybe a little bit of advice in this room and know that that person's probably thought about like, you know, when you call somebody about technology stuff and they're like, did you turn it off?
1: Yeah. <laughs> Did you unplug it and plug it back in?
0: Did you unplug it and plug it back in? No, bro. This thing has been keeping me up at night every single day. I, I haven't thought about the obvious freaking thing. Right? Like, and that's a problem with the fix it thing. The fix it mentality goes to some basic level of thinking. Sometimes it gets too quick into like sounding like you're making, you're, you're, you're making me feel dumb. Mm-hmm. And I know you're, you're just trying to help, but you're making me feel stupid right now. Like as if I didn't think about unplugging the goddamn computer and plugging it back in. Mm-hmm. And, and and wait, why did you think that that was a, pro- like, I didn't bring you in here to solve that problem. I brought you in here to solve this problem. Like we miss so many of these markers and they hinder our relationships in very drastic ways. Um, and it so it's
1: wild co- how often we give unsolicited advice. That's pretty much what that is. It's like, they're not actually asking for your help in this moment, but you see something's not working and you're like, did you unplug it? They didn't even ask you. They didn't ask you. Why are you telling why are you asking that question? You think they're not gonna feel judged by you asking that question? They're gonna feel so dumb. They're gonna feel like you think I'm stupid. <laughs> it's like I didn't even ask you for the thing. If I wanted it, I would have asked for it. I didn't even ask for it. You walk, we walk into the house and you're like, oh, you're you want you want some help cleaning this up? No, I didn't ask you for your help. This is this this is what my house is right now. I didn't ask for your help like, oh, why why do you assume that I want that? It's not necessarily the case. Maybe this is how I actually like it. Maybe this is what's happening. This is where I'm at right now today. But what's hilarious, I just realized in this conversation is, isn't it funny how, when someone comes into your house and you feel like it's a mess, you apologize. Sorry for the mess. And what that directly correlates with me is it's like, as if we allow someone into our house, but we say, sorry. I apologize that I'm such a mess. I apologize. It's such a disaster in here. I apologize that I'm so broken or that I'm so all over the place or I'm so chaotic. I apologize. So we pop. hold on. What? How does that come to be? Your house is is dirty. And because someone else enters it, that you, what, somehow burden their life? No, that's not how that works. What are you apologizing for? And I'm guilty of this. I know I'm guilty of this. I'm oh sorry it's such a mess. I, I haven't cleaned it yet. It's like our brain. sorry, my brain is such a mess. I haven't cleaned it yet. And that click for me just now was like, what are we apologizing for? Like this is my truth. If this is my truth in this moment, that is how that is my that is just the the nature of things. That is my authenticity. And I don't need to apologize for that. But it's funny, it's interesting how often we feel the need to do so. I apologize for my house being a mess. (laughs) I have to keep it perfect just in case you come over tomorrow or an impromptu person shows up. I have to keep my house perfect. That's not attainable. And how much stress is that gonna cause me if I feel like it has to be perfect inside all the time? Sounds, Sounds like a pretty heavy burden to bear.
0: we've done a good job, you know, here in this kind of, you know, back and forth. We've talked a lot about, you know, that expectation that, you know, letting mm-hmm. somebody in that like fix it. We're talking a lot about the the receiving side of someone asking for help, right? Because mm-hmm. this conversation is a two-headed prong. It's, mm-hmm. it's how do you act when someone asks you for help, right? And there's the whole other equation of like actually asking for help, right? And I think that as men, we are struggling on both sides of the equation. Mm -hmm. On one side of the equation, when somebody does finally open up to you and like ask for help, we're doing the things that we just really like we just displayed here in the last couple of minutes, this Mm -hmm. fix it mentality. That's like, I didn't ask for that. I asked for this, like this idea that, you know, you go into a problem solving state, you miss the empathy component. You, you miss the, the, the vulnerability of being able to just like, listen to somebody, hear them out, acknowledge that their pain is a real pain, acknowledge that their story is their story, that they have a truth that, you know, you are, uh, you know, you are the one of one for your life and they are the one of one of their life. Um, So we are struggling in that element the other element that we're struggling in is just the asking for help letting someone in period right what we're doing as men is we're not even letting somebody in unless the house is perfectly clean Mm -hmm. like we don't even allow this which is the isolation
1: i'm in my home trying to make sure it's clean
0: and and so anytime that gets challenged or anytime somebody maybe, you know, is like willing to come in and help you with some of that, you're like, no, 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 I'm good. I got this. It's fine. Everything is fine. It's clean in there. It's perfect in there. It's, it's this idea that we're not even like, we're not even vulnerable enough to, to even get to a place where we're like, Hey, sorry for the mess. Cause that, that would imply some vulnerability. Like I let you in and I'm apologizing for the mess. We're not even getting there. It's great in there. It's perfect. And what we do is we keep people at a distance. We keep people at a distance so that they don't even they they're like, I, I, why would I even go into that person's house? We're not even like that close. They don't even let you in. Like I wouldn't even ask because they're like it's so so guarded. It's a gated community there. Like, but the perception of it is that it's perfect inside, and you're not getting in. And I don't need any help. But let me into your house and let me help clean your house up.
1: Hmm. Mm, mm. because what that says is um, I'm going to distract myself from fixing my problems by fixing your problems because then I never have to look at my own. I can just keep fixing other people's problems and I'll feel fulfillment out of that. But what that says is I don't have problems to fix because I have time to fix yours.
0: And adding to that, fixing your problems, fulfill my masculinity mandate.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: You helping me fix mine ruins my masculinity. Mm -hmm. So let me just get more points on the masculinity board by helping you through your problems, by helping you get to where you need to get to, by supporting you, by getting you to the life that you want, by helping my mom, by helping this, by helping that, by helping that all of these fulfill my masculinity mandate for society. But needing help, that's like, if you're looking at a credit score, that's like negative credits, That, that we see it as like, every time I do something for somebody, I'm gaining a better credit score. Anytime I ask for help, that's like when, you know, you're, looking, you're applying for a place and they're like, they have to ask for permission. They're like, hey, can we check your credit? Can we check your credit score? Because checking it means that it's going to go down a, a couple points or it's going to shave at a point and you're not supposed to do it often. Right. Mm-hmm. We almost treat life as a credit score, like as if every time I ask for help or every time I go get my credit checked, it, it's going to push me back a little bit. So pick your times wisely. Don't just get your credit score checked. Because if you're at an 800 and you had to go get your credit score checked three times this year, and then you go from 800 to 750, well, that number, you see it as a masculinity drop. I was an 800 man last week, and now I'm a 750 man because I asked for help because I checked the credit line. I checked that credit line. Stop looking at life like a credit line. Go in and get it checked and asking to see where it's at or getting it approved to, so you can get more things in life, right? Because it's a great metaphor. Like if you get your credit score checked to get an apartment, you're getting something out of asking for help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you. it shaves points. Yeah, it docks whatever on your credit score, they say, when you go and get it checked, right? But what are you getting by getting it checked? Something that you want. Something that you need help for. I'm not just, who gets their credit score Someone tell me who gets a credit score check to get get it checked. Is anybody? You get it checked for a purpose, do you not? A loan that you're trying to get, uh, a mortgage, um, like university proof of proof of act, like you, anytime you go and get your credit score checked or you need a report. Anytime they go and dock those whatever points that they say that they dock when you have to get it reviewed, you're trying to get something for yourself. So every time you go ask for help, sure it may shave some points but you're bettering yourself. There's something for you in asking Mm -hmm. for help. And so for me, it's like, we see it as this weird, I can only do it if there's a very, very important thing that I have to get. I can't do it on a Tuesday. Mm -mm. Like there's a limited amount of, there's a limited amount of times we can check our credit. So limited Mm -hmm. limited amount of times you can ask for help in life. Mm -hmm. And it's just a very flawed mentality. It's a very Mm -hmm. flawed mentality that's back behind a lot of evidence. That feeling, the feeling of that, the feeling as if checking, asking for help is like, like getting a credit card, like getting a credit check or a report. That is not a make-believe feeling. It's, we feel like it's going down. We Mm -hmm. feel like whatever you've built up is going to get hit a couple points by that little olive branch that you put out. And this is supported by, you know, the provider complex, feeling like you need to provide. This is supported by the men don't cry complex. This is supported by the the acknowledgement and love and excitement that comes around being self-made. This idea that being self-made is so cool and so special that being a, a solo train and doing it all by yourself is like, like the ultimate gladiator. Like they are the alpha male person is this self-made individual. How badly do I wanna get a shirt that says I'm self-made? How badly do I wanna tell people my success? And then at the end be like, oh yeah, by the way, I did it all myself, no help. Nobody was around for that. How much do we love that little, little, little ending? Why do we love that ending? Why love do we love that ending?
1: Kind of sound like Kevin, Kevin Hart there too. No help. Nobody else. No one. Just me. Just I, only me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my love. Yeah. Literally man. It's. And the crazy part about it is there's literally nobody who's achieved levels of success or happiness or both that has not been helped. That Mm -hmm. is the irony in it all. Mm-hmm. Every single person who's achieved a goddamn thing in this world has not done it by themselves. So, what hypocrisy are we in right now? Like, what, what, what are we? So, I'm trying to be self made, but no one who's made anything has done it by themselves. So, what are we doing? What game are we playing, fellas?
1: a, A literally real life, overly dramatic example of that is the idea of, let's say, this hierarchical person who wants to control the world and dominate by going to war. Is he the front runner in leading this mission? Yes. Who's winning the war, though? The hundreds of thousands of people fighting the battle. So what, he did it alone? No. He literally did it with hundreds of thousands of people. That's how he won the war. That's how, quote, not even he, they won the war. Right, So that's a perfect example. Even when we were literally fighting for land, we still didn't do it alone. When we were fighting in war, we still never did it alone. And yet we look at those moments as hallmark moments in the history of life. Did we say one person did it? Sometimes we do. And that's the problem. This person won the war. Mm-mm. This person directed, this person navigated, this person guided, but no, that person did not win the war. That person was not the one person. Never has that ever been a moment in history where one person says, I'm going to go win this war and then went and fought 100,000 people and beat them all. Doesn't happen. Never happens. Never has had happened. But it is hilarious because then that's praise. The patriarchy praises that one person. And what ends up happening is we see the one person and we're like, look at all the things that that person did and the wars they won and the battles they fought. And it's like, yes, they did with other people. Yes, they did. With consultants. Yes, they did. With advisors. Some of the greatest gods in the history of all of the mythological stuff that we have seen had spiritual consultants. They never made a decision without addressing the spiritual consultant. But we don't talk about the spiritual consultant, do we? That person doesn't get no praise. Who gets praise? The other person, the one, the one God. We don't live in a world of gods. And even if we did reality check, the gods asked for help too. It's a crazy dynamic. But what I do recognize is what we are speaking to is obviously, you know, what I think we're kind of speaking to is we're sharing a lot of great insight. Um, What I do think we're sharing too is um, the crossing of the bridge, right? The getting over, the, the crossing of the bridge. But a lot of us still are not. We're not crossing the bridge. We're hearing this information, and we're still not doing it. So, from your context, from your experience, from your life, what has helped you cross the bridge? What has helped you see this this ideal that society? Um, to be honest with you, I think is glorified the vulnerability space. It's been glorified, so I think that's why a lot of people are not crossing the bridge. Um, what has helped you? say, okay, I see this sign. This is a cool sign. Instead of telling other people, this is what I'm going to do or what I'm doing, I'm going to actually cross the bridge. What has helped you in that space in regards to seeking help and sharing your truth and authenticity?
0: Unfortunately, rock bottom. Mm. Unfortunately, Mm. rock bottom. That's the the hard truth is that sign started looking like a one way. Mm. It was like, you got to go over the bridge. There's no, Mm. or there's the other, I mean, it's always a two-way, I guess. I just chose that I was going to pick the one way. I was going to pick the way that didn't, didn't result in me ending the game. You know, I thought that, you know, the pain of going through whatever I felt I was going to have to navigate through being vulnerable and sharing my truth. You know, the challenges that would come from that path, I could deal with and manage better than, you know, the commitment level I needed to have to do the other thing, you know, and and the sad reality is, is that I hate that that's my answer because I don't want people to hit rock bottom to learn this lesson, you know, Mm -hmm. because because what I want to actually share is that when you have and you know that you can ask for help, when you know that you're someone who isn't carrying this this weird badge of honor to society, this weird, like, like as if you're going to be praised for something that, like, when you're not carrying that badge of honor and you, you are someone who is accepted that if you are in pain and you are struggling, you can ask for help. It makes you dream bigger and fight harder because you're not playing with house money. Right. If you are someone who doesn't believe you can ask for help. You'll only ever try to do things that you think you can overcome. Because you're like, I'm not asking for help. So I'm only going to get into my, I'm only going to get into a big enough mess that I know that I can actually clean up. Mm -hmm. Which leaves you playing small, which leaves you playing small. Now, if that, if that doesn't land, let me put it in a metaphor for me traveling and, and, and moving to Toronto. Even I always knew I could go back to Winnipeg. So when you always know you can go back to somewhere it makes the challenge of what you're going through be like, well, let's just, just just try it. Let's just do it. Let's just figure it out. I got, I got, I know I can go somewhere. So what am I, what am I running from? Mm -hmm. Rock bottom is go back to Winnipeg and live with my family. That's rock bottom. That's the end. That's, that's this failing. Let's do it. So worst is going to happen. Let's go to Toronto, figure it out, live there. Worst that happens, you go back to the city that you already lived in with your friends and your family and you figure it out. Mm. Asking for help is the same blanket. It's mm-hmm. the same blanket. It's hey. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to try these things. And if it doesn't work out, I'm humble enough and I have the humility to say I will ask for help.
1: Mhm. Mhm. You remember um you ever heard that quote by David Goggins, if you want to take the island burn the boats? No. He says that whenever he's like attacking something. He's like if you want to take the island burn the boats. So if you're you obviously you're traveling on your boat and you get to the island, you want to make sure you win, you burn the damn boats. And I've always been intrigued by this because I said, yes, burn the damn boats, burn the boats. I've agreed with this. And then I got to thinking in this moment now, yes, burn the boats is a great motivator, but in the, in the, in the process of life, what if you need to go back to the island to ask for help, to come back, to take the island. Cause I feel like the burn the boats says you're on your own you're isolated. You're, you're so low, take the Island. And yes, there's a lot of power in finding inner motivation. And there's a lot of power in knowing how powerful you are 100%. And I never will discount that because that is what I help people the most with. Cause that's what's changed my life the most, mm-hmm. but there's a, but I did not get here by burning my boat. I got here by getting back in the damn boat and being like, whoa, hold on a second. I think I need different wisdom here. Let's see who I can seek. I think I need different kind of support here. Who can I find? Who can I talk to? And then I gained that wisdom. And then I go back to the island and I'll say, okay, I'm going to take this island. And maybe I still don't do it. So then I had to get back into the boat that, by the way, I still have not burned and gone to figure out, okay, what other tools do I need? What other practices can I try? what other weapons can I find and then go back again? And sometimes that's a process, right? And I think that for me, um, I would never want to discount the idea that going back and asking for help is a bad thing. But I did that. I did that. When I went to Toronto, I did that. And I did the same thing you did. I I just moved back to Calgary because I said, I can't do it. I couldn't figure this out. And that was a hard truth for me, but here I am and navigating it. And in a much better spot, taking it step by step, because the only way that I was going to navigate um, my life in that moment was by getting back on the boat and going and going back. And that's okay. But that was hard because that meant like I was going to come back and people were going to be like, oh, do you need help? Can i going to help you out. And that happened. People were like, hey, let, like, let me know, like, I'll support you. Like, I'll help you out um, in X, Y, Z. And I'm like, no, oh, that's not That's not what's happening here. Like." I'm just getting back in my boat to find new tools, to find new practices, to navigate it a different way. Maybe I need to go to the other side of the island this time. I'm not sure, but I don't know the answer to that yet. I need to get back in my boat. And that's a caveat to asking for help for me, at least anyway.
0: Yeah. I think the, I think what the burning, the boat metaphor really helps is it helps the idea of knowing that you're more powerful than you think you are. And it, it enhances the commitment level right? Mm -hmm. You burn the boat. The commitment level is insane now. Now, Mm -hmm. now there is no other option, right? Um, and I I think attacking goals and stuff like that, sometimes with that level of intent and energy is, you know, it can be, it can be very promising, Mm -hmm. but not attacking stress,
1: Mm.
0: not attacking pain,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. not attacking, which would be the trauma in that case. Yeah. Right? Like what Island are we docking this boat at? If it's sure. if, we're, if we're docking this, if we're docking this boat at goals, burn the boat. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> These are goals. We're trying to, we're, we're living in a 3d world. We want, we, we want the material things. We want the wife. We want the, this, we want the, that burn the damn boat. <laughs> Let's go see what you're made of. Cause that, that, that little hindering boat is why you can't get from, you, you can't, you can only get to the eighth rep and not the 10th. Cause you're like, ah, I could put it down. That's mm-hmm. what that boat's doing for you. It's, it's, it's making you play a little bit small because you have a little safety net and it's okay. I got that mm-hmm. comfort. That's what, that's what David Goggins, in my opinion, is trying to say is burn the damn boat and get the damn ten. Burn mm-hmm. the damn. But if we're docking this boat at st- the stress island, the societal pressure island, the island of trauma, the island of pain, the iron, the island of suffering. Don't burn the boat. Do not burn the boat. We've been burning the boat on this island, and guess what happens? You're this. You're the second thing to go after the boat because there's no one else to talk to. So if if you're on that, if you've been on that island for too long, and you're too you're, you can't figure out the pain, the stress, the suffering, the trauma, get back in the goddamn boat and go find help.
1: Mm-hmm. And then come back. Just to clarify do not never come back to that Island because that Island is a part of the, the globe uh, that is your life. That Island is a necessity to the, the flows of the water and the navigation systems and the maps. It is a necessary space. So get back in the boat, go back to, let's say the next Island that, you know, there's people there ask for help, but then come back to that same Island and, and figure out what that Island means. And what's there for you? And if you can conquer this specific one, maybe this is one pain point island out of the millions of islands we have in this world.
0: And going into, you know, what we always love to do here at Modern Masculinity is, you know, offer, you know, tips and tricks and maybe ways to kind of like actually start moving the needle forward, right? If we've admitted that we have this island, it's got all these problems, right? A lot of us don't have the vulnerability maybe right now to get back in that boat go find help and then bring them back to the island. That's too much of a commitment level. We can't do that. Right. And that's what we're struggling with. And opening up vulnerability is, it's just, it's its just, it's just one, it's just one little share at a time, one share at a time, find the person that you are the closest with and share a little bit of the pain that you're carrying, whether it's the pressure at work or, you know, that conversation with your boss that like, you know, you've been burdening. And like, you just, if you talk to someone about it, they could maybe give you perspective on, I actually think your boss might have, he has this tone, but I think he has this intention and you're only hearing the tone. You're not hearing the intention. And that little share now changes my whole dynamic with my boss, right? But the fact that we're, we're supposed to know everything that your boss is saying to you, you're supposed to know how to manage every single thing, that fight with your girlfriend, you're supposed to know how to deal with that fight, you're not supposed to share with anybody else. This idea that we need to know everything, bend that, let's get rid of that. Start with surrounding yourself with people that you are actually, like, if, you're, if you hang around somebody and when you bring up something that's kind of minor, they are just laughing in your face, they're this, they're that and whatever, maybe let's do a self-assessment. Maybe you need to start changing your environment with one, right? Get some people in your life that like you think can actually hear you out for a second, right? And men are, kind of, men are kind of funny. Men solve a lot of problems with humor, right? So, you know, humor is a definite big way that we solve problems. It's, you know, we'll laugh in your face and then we'll like, we'll give you the little nugget and, you know, we'll mm-hmm. kind of like move through it, right? And that works for us men sometimes, right? But maybe share a little bit more, maybe get a little bit deeper, right? Start with one, then maybe you have two friends that you share information with, right? I'll share an example. I had a friend who, you know, he's going through a really, really catastrophic injury right now. Catastrophic, one of those ones that is just, um, you know, I have, a, I have I have two I have one person who's going through a catastrophic like injury that will bounce back. It's like, you know, um, and there's, 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 there's one of my friends who's going through a catastrophic time in life right now. Like it's the injury is there's there's you want to be optimistic but there's no guarantees right like this is not a torn achilles this is not a mcl you know what i mean this is it's not guaranteed that you can come back mcl achilles there's patterns to this you can come back from those things and both these friends i've learned from my experience with my first friend you know the one that has the injury that necessarily there is no guarantee that he'll be able to come back from it and he has to just be optimistic and he has to you know from that experience what i've What I learned is now when my second friend got injured through an injury that I know he's going to be able to come back from and I know he's going to be able to bounce back, he's going to be strong. they're both going through very low points in their life, regardless of whether the outcome is one that you know, you're going to be successful and you know, you're not going to be successful, right? It's very easy for me to discount my friend who may be going through the, the ACL or the, the Achilles one, just being like, you're good, man. You're going to bounce back. You're fine. As if there's not a journey to be had here, that there isn't a, one of those going to happen. Like you're not going to wake up on a Tuesday and be like, my leg doesn't work right now. Sure. It's going to work in seven months, but it's not going to work what I learned is just appreciating the fact that like, Hey, so many people are going to be like, yeah, man, I've bounced back from that injury. You're good. I've done this. I've done that. They're going to discount your pain already. And I said that you're going to want to be tough to those people because you're going to be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to get through this. Like so many other people have gone through it, like whatever, yada, yada, yada. And I remember, you know, at the end of the conversation, right before I hung up, I was like, Hey, I want you to know something. You're going to carry a facade that you're going to get through this to a lot of people. And I'm okay with that. If that's what you feel like you need to carry to those individuals to show that you're strong, to show yourself that you're strong, go ahead. But do not show me that bullshit. Hmm. I'm opening the door right now because I know you're going to be low. There's going to be a day where you want to cry. There's going to be a day where you're going to look for someone to talk to. But if you're carrying a facade of I'm going to get through this with all of these people, I'm telling you right now, I don't give a shit about that energy at all. When you're feeling down and out on that Tuesday, call me, because I'm I'm acknowledging that I know you're gonna cry, I know you're gonna be frustrated, I know that you're 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 fighting between carrying a facade and an emotion that's real that you're feeling, and if you feel like you can put that nowhere, it's gonna breed nastier consequences in the future, right? And and for me, that's that's just like the understanding that sometimes as men, how we fix problems is just knowing that like, it's going to be okay. And that as if that is a good enough answer. So like now I can't share shit along the path because it's supposed to be okay. Like Mm -hmm. you're just going to dismiss me and be like, yeah, it's cool, man. It's week two. Like you'll be good in three months or you'll be good. Just keep pushing through, keep pushing through, keep pushing through. Um,
1: And over overuse of the positive mindset. It's like toxic positivity at that point.
0: Exactly exactly. And so for me I just I just feel like if you can just have that and I'm trying to be that one friend for that guy, right? Like I'm just trying to be that one friend for that guy so that he knows when push comes to shove there's one person that I can I can call and be like, "Okay." Right? Find your one person, man. Find the one person that you think is maybe a little bit more like Connected, Or, you know, maybe they're not in your friend group. Maybe they're there's somebody else, you know, maybe there's somebody that you talk to at work that, you know, you don't, they don't know everything about your life, but they know a little bit about your, about your pain, you know, um, slowly start offloading some of that. And you'll notice, you know, you asked me when I crossed that bridge and whatever I was forced to, right. I forced across the bridge. But what I realized was, damn, thank God I was forced to do it because who is it lighter? Ooh, does that isolated problem not feel so isolated anymore? Oh, you guys all have you guys all have some example of those problems in your lives too. Oh, that's how you went about it. And what's crazy is the realization of like, yo, that perspective actually helped. I think I can go back to the island. Give me a second. Go back to the island. You fix something. You're like, so share perspective, fix share perspective, fix. So sharing is the gateway to fixing shit. Like, if my goal is to fix something. And you've been staring at the IKEA set for two hours, and you couldn't figure it out. What's left? Get something involved. <laughs> <laughs> you've tried. We've been. You've been in your living room with this IKEA set with the with the instructions, which I'm gonna I'm gonna say is the internet in this example. You've you've been sitting there with the instructions for a long time. You haven't moved the needle forward. Maybe get somebody involved and start with one.
1: So in the context of asking for help and getting support and kind of removing this idea that we have to isolate ourselves in order to navigate what it all looks like, I think that that's definitely a common narrative that I've lived with is that I'll just isolate myself until it's all fixed. And eventually the feelings pass instead of actually addressing the feelings i just I, I basically just pretend like they're not there until they aren't there and you know the idea that the body keeps score definitely comes into play there where it's like how much i wonder am i hurting my body in this process mm-hmm. so fascinating but to kind of tie the conversation uh, beautifully to a close what we want to share now is just kind of how we've navigated this because we both have different journeys and we know all of you listening have different journeys as well. And a lot of of men out there, I'm going to presume in a general space are not asking for help. And while that doesn't mean that you always have to ask for help, there are things that you can definitely navigate on your own. And that's beautiful. The reference of what Island are you landing on is a beautiful context of where you may need support. And then that's, it's okay. And so uh, I'll start with, I guess, the takeaways from the conversation, the rule of nuggets or, or the the process that I've really taken is what I've recognized about asking for help is that it lands in a much bigger context than just the big things. There's, there's a, a larger lens. There's a There's a bigger lens for me in that there will be a moment just in my day where I will say into myself, Oh, like I need help in this moment. And what I won't do is honor that. I won't honor that space. And a great example for me is just simply getting ready for work. Me and my partner are in the same household. I'm getting ready for work. I'm running behind. My partner asks me, Hey, do you need anything? And because I never want to ask for help, I say, no, I'm good. I got it. And then what I'll do is I'll place this extra burden on myself and run around the house and get everything together. And I'll do it. I'll always do it, right? I never have a fear of not doing it. But what I recognize is that what if I just asked my partner to put my bag by the door? What if that was what would speed me up the most? Or what if I said, hey, do you mind making me a quick sandwich or a smoothie? Or hey, do you mind just putting water in my bag so I don't forget? What if I said that, but I don't? Because what I know as part of the process of asking for help is that it requires us to honor our own wants, needs, and desires. And that is hard to do. And I know for me is hard to do is, is honoring that about myself is honoring that in this moment, if I ask for help, that could really support me in that tiny minute. So we're not just talking about asking for support in the mental health space. I think what the world has done is made that obvious. But what I recognize is that when I do those little moments of asking for help that have nothing to do with my bigger pain issues or traumas or mental health, it actually makes me feel more empowered to then eventually get to the place where I'm like, hey, okay, here's my emotion now. Because I, so I asked for support here and you provided a safe space. That makes me feel like there might be a safe space for bigger things that I'm navigating. So it's, my biggest takeaway that I recognize is it's just, it's patience. It's patience in knowing that it's going to take practice. It's patience in the practice. And as men, we don't practice it and but yet expect that we're going to be perfect at it. And that unfortunately is not going to align with who we are. It's going to require us to do the little moments each and every day of recognizing, okay, what's my truth right now? What's my truth right now? And if you don't share it, that's okay in that moment. But recognize what's my truth right now. And then As we navigate that, what we do is we finally self-discover. We finally see who we are. We finally allow ourselves to be who we are by the self-discovery process of, oh, my truth right now is I could use help. I'm not going to ask for it because I'm not comfortable yet with that. But the truth of the nature is I could could use some help right now. And even just that acknowledgement says, whoa, interesting. I didn't know that about myself. I didn't know that there's pieces of my life that I could need help with, but I recognize that feeling and then go from there and navigate. Okay. I'll ask for, Hey, can you grab me a cup of water? Cause you're in the kitchen. That's a need. That's a want. And what, like I said, that does is that tiny practice makes you feel more comfortable with asking for bigger help. So that's my biggest takeaway. And that's my biggest nugget from this conversation and my own personal life. What about yours?
0: Nice. One thing I really liked about what you shared there and you, and you said it in, in, a, in a sentence is, what if I asked for that smoothie or asked for that bag in front of the door and quite literally would actually speed me up? Hear the and asking? You see the, the speed me up? That doesn't sound like a hinder to me, right? Asking for a little bit of help can speed you up, can make you better. Mm-hmm. And what we'll, we'll, we're wired to think is that like, we, we, we put the burden on a pedestal and we put the asking for help on a low end.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And really, it's really being able to speed yourself up allows you to do more things, right? It allows you to become more. It allows you to, like, you can be more efficient Like, if mm-hmm. you just ask for a little bit of help and it could speed you up. And that's, a, that's an example of getting ready. Imagine you did mm-hmm. that with some bigger things as you did that right. with some, some bigger, maybe, maybe you're about to go through a five year stretch of like a lot of pain and trauma that could be cut down to two by asking for help. Right. In the speed up example you're giving, you're talking about maybe 15 minutes, a 20 minute, like you're, you're talking about going, like, I got to be out of here in 30 minutes. You're speeding me up by 15 minutes. That's great. Amplify that by years and add trauma. You've been carrying, you've been burdening this torch for 15 years. What if I told you, you could have been five? And so for me, asking for help is just one of those things where the thing that I, the, the thing that, you know, I think that I'm going to take the, the most away from asking for help is that asking for help allows you to have another option for the, the problems that you're going through it gives you another option right we talk about the fact that being having your back against the wall being being sometimes being a man you realize like the door right we see the option of ask for help and the door looks like it's like ch- it's a chain fence like as mm-hmm. if you actually can't do it even though it's an option like it's uh, it's always an option but what, what we what we lack to see is that like that option looks like a chained fence to us like And so we pick the one that's like, and for some people, maybe suicide ideation and depression is like the door looks wide open. There's not even, there's not even a there's not even a chain, there's nothing. It's like a door that's wide open. It's like choose this door. Or ask for help and it's like frick it. I'm going down. That door looks way less complicated, you know? And I want us to start looking at that that chain fence door, that door that looks like it's like not that has so many things that you gotta overcome and fight the battle of getting all those chains down all benefit you. They all benefit you. The challenge of actually going through that door. Finally, all benefit you. They speed you up. Mm -hmm. And so I I I think my biggest takeaway from the conversation, to be honest, was, you know, um, the coming in and not coming out.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I really, really enjoyed that. I think that that is such a great way to think about it. You know, someone is letting you come in and not letting you come out. You know, um, I like that switch. Um, I think just in terms of like this topic and stuff like that, I think, I think as, as, as men, we often are mentality seekers, right? If, if you are someone who believes in the mamba mentality, for example, or the lone wolf mentality, sometimes we go too deep down the rabbit hole of those mentalities, right? You think Kobe Bryant doesn't ask for help? Like, you think he has the Mamba mentality? Yes. But that's not everything that makes him who he is. He's also the first person willing to pick up the phone and call somebody when he's like, has a question. He's curious. He's intuitive. He asks for help when he needs to, right? He wanted to work on his footwork one year. And he, 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 he joined tap dancing classes in the off season to get better at his craft. The real Mamba mentality is knowing that I am not good at this. I'm going to go seek some help in this because I want to be good at it, right? It's the real, the real Mamba mentality, the real lone lone wolf mentality is when you know what you want, you go after it. When you don't, you ask for help. And so for me, it's sometimes the mentalities that we take on and that we're trying to fulfill are the same ones that are breaking us down. So understand what Island is this boat docked at mm-hmm. and understand what mentality you need to deploy on that Island.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And life is not a one size fits all mentality. Not everything is, this is the mentality I have for my work. So this is the mentality I carry in my relationship. This is the mentality I have for this This is the mentality I carry for this diversify your mentalities. hmm And understand that asking for help is an opportunity to let somebody in and it's an opportunity to see how you see things in a different way. It's not an opportunity to be perceived as weak or perceived as less than or at the end of the day, human. Get used to the term human. Now go about life. I'm a human now go about life. Not I'm a human, and then I'm a man, so I can't talk about these things. No, 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 I'm a human. And work through that. And then taking your advice there, find the small opportunities to share and let them lead into the big ones. And then find the, the, find the group of people that you think you can share with and share with those people. Mm-hmm. Would, you, would you argue that Mike Tyson is a, is a bad man? Would you argue that Mike Tyson is a, is a bad man? Like he's... he's, he's no. He's a, like, in terms of like fighting, like he's like, he's a, you don't oh. want to mess with Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson is, he's a bad man. Like back in his prime, yeah, you don't yeah, mess with him. Has he ever shown up to the ring without a corner? No. Has he ever, has he ever shown up without a coach or like, why, why didn't Mike Tyson go into the ring by himself?
1: Even when he had that fight with Jake Paul, he had a coach in his corner, hyping him up, getting him ready. Same thing. How many years later? Exact same thing. Still someone in his corner. So stop,
0: I say that to say, have a corner. It's not not cool to not have a corner. Mm-hmm. That makes no sense.
1: Get it's a corner. Jack, it's not Jake Paul. I just want to counter that. I don't know what I'm talking about. But yeah, that was joints. Row joints. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jake Paul. Um, yes, absolutely. And something just came to my mind. Uh, there was a post the other day that said that I it was polarizing and I hated it. It said, sometimes the burden of the masculine is to suffer in silence and i'm gonna be honest with you i aggressively disagree and this ties into this conversation there's this idea that in order to process your feelings and to process things without sharing first and to allow a smooth conversation is always the right way mm-mm. i think that we are chasing comfort at that point and in the space of aggressive discomfort chasing comfort's not the right way to go And I think to be honest with you, chasing comfort is almost never the right way to go. So in this context of the idea of suffering and silence, yes, you have the ability to process your thoughts inside 100%. But the the suffering is a choice. If you are going to suffer, it's because you're feeding the pessimism. You're feeding the storyline that's playing out. You're feeding it. You're giving it ammo. And therefore, you are suffering because you are the one that's causing it. But you can process thoughts and not suffer. You can process the feelings and not suffer just because it's discomfort does not equal suffering. Just because you feel it in your body does not mean you're suffering. It just means you're feeling it in your body. And just to recognize that does not mean you're you're feeding the suffering. It just means you're recognizing, honor the feeling. And the, some of the biggest work that I, I enjoy and I appreciate and I'm a part of is embodiment, is recognizing the body is going to tell you more than your mind does. So who are you listening to? Your mind or your body? The mind will be a story and the the body will be the truth. So when you're sharing your experience, it's less about, you know, sharing the depth of the storyline that sent it It, because you fed that it's my body is feeling this. And this is what I'm interpreting. Simple as that. That's the reality. Yes. The mind's going to want to go somewhere else, but you feed that and you're just feeding the beast. You're feeding the monster. You're feeding the, the, the other side of the psychosis that, um, just wants to be protected so it will fight to protect you and what we're saying is you're still protected even if you share you're still protected you're still safe that will never change but just know that you don't have to suffer in silence and there are people like us here in this podcast anwar and i we're here for you the idea of of being alone is false and has always been false you are never alone, and that's a statement that I know is is over overshared, but it is the, the truth of the reality is that you message one of us and we're there for you. You message any of the people in the Tether app that sponsor us, they're there for you. People will always listen. But like Anwar said, find one, and then you can find more. Find one. What's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning
0: in to another episode of the Modern Masculinity Podcast. I Hope you enjoyed this episode and we invite you to join us next week as we put out content every single Wednesday. Our goal with this platform is to create a community to support men on their journey of becoming conscious kings. And in saying so, if you took any value out of this episode or previous episodes, please share, download, subscribe. And if you're feeling really up to it, go ahead and leave a review. You can follow us at modern masculinity. Remember that it's with a K, not a C, to represent the mask that we wear. And like always, thank you for listening and we'll see you next week.